0: With a smart design, premium fabrics, and a simple shopping experience, Mack Weldon underwear is definitely better than whatever you're currently wearing, except for me, because I am currently wearing it. Stop it. So checkmate, universe. Wow. In addition to looking great and feeling great, all Mack Weldon products are crafted with natural fibers that have built-in performance capabilities. They even have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are antimicrobial, naturally so. So you just that eliminates odor. Just They're basically perfect pieces of clothing. No microbes. All that, and they're shipped right to your door so you don't have to go to a store you don't have to be like do these do these look good in public if you don't like your first pair keep it they'll still refund you no questions asked go to MacWeldon.com and get 20 percent off your first purchase using the promo code watch
1: i need support to have to clear the room stand up and walk
0: now. Hello and welcome to The Watch, my name is Chris Ryan, I'm an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, Allora! Alora! It's Andy Greenwald, chef's kiss! Oh, we're going to Italia this week! We're going to do a little bit of Master of None, uh, we're yep. going to do a little bit of, well probably a lot of leftovers based on last night's mm-hmm. roaring episode. Oh, that's a pun! And we'll also talk a little bit of catastrophe today. We have a couple things we want to address from Jump, though. Yeah. And one is the fact that despite being friends for more than 20 years.
1: Yeah, we're over 20 years now.
0: More than 20 years. We just found out, Andy and I just found out. Mm Mm-hmm. That we are both <laughs> members of a secret brotherhood... Yes. ...called the Pre-Pajama Mafia. Yes. Where, okay, listeners... Paint, paint them a picture. Feel free to hit me up on social media, because my timeline is, is so ugly right now, after writing about the Warriors and the Spurs, that I would love to just get some thoughts. Mm-hmm. But here's what Andy and I just found out we both do. Mm-hmm. Go to work, you get home, mm-hmm. and you change out of mm-hmm. your work attire... Into a comfortable yet intermediate outfit, like a full other outfit. Like cozy wear. Yeah, so you do the Mr. Rogers, but like the full Mr. Rogers, not just the cardigan, but you go different pair of pants, different shirts. Maybe some sweats, a tee. Whatever. Whatever. And then there's the pajamas later on, which for me, you know, is not pajamas, per se. It was just like... What, no, was it? Was I dressed it a tuc- like, a tuxedo? For, like Tim Hardaway in 1996 to go to sleep.
1: <laughs> you know, like... You're gonna, have to, you're gonna have to keep going on that. Keep digging that hole. Basketball shorts. Oh. Yeah. You mean his work attire. All those,
0: I recently started getting into doing my shorts like Alexis Sanchez on Arsenal, where he like rolls them up. Do you know that style? Listen. <laughs> but I didn't know that this was a controversial opinion until my wife started roasting me for it.
1: As does mine. And the more interesting thing here is that our wives have not joined up to Kenny Rogers roast us together.
0: <laughs> they didn't and know. Here's the thing. Yeah.
1: First of all, I just like to say welcome to the watch, our, <laughs> the Ringer's premier pop culture podcast. Here's the thing. I feel like we can talk about this because we've been doing the show for over five years now, like, and we'll talk
0: about all types of shit on
1: podcast. The Ringer podcast network now has Larry Wilmore talking to Norman Lear, so we can talk about sweatpants. Yeah, sure. I feel like there's a they got for that this. covered. They've got They've all got, the other important stuff covered. They're done. I think this is totally reasonable pajamas are for sleeping in they're not for they're not loungewear. what if you have to go out to the car for something what if you had to run to the bodega to use my new york self right it only makes sense. What is this? What what is this binary? It has to be either awake or asleep. I reject it.
0: Yeah, I just like the idea of changing into an outfit when I get home, where I look like Brett Favre and his Wranglers ad. <laughs> what else do you do to because encourage I feel like that that's look? probably the way I want to really look yeah. like deep down, but I don't want to go full sweats.
1: The other week we had Greg Dooley of the Afghan Wigs in here, yeah. and you and I have been fans of his work for as
0: long as we've been friends, as
1: long as we've been friends, if not longer. And obviously, we were a little bit starstruck, we were a little bit excited. But what we talked about as he left the studio was we were mostly just impressed that this man, this rock god, was rocking athleisure in the middle of the day. Yeah. So that's really so. What we're realizing here, real this is aspirational. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. All the button downs and crisp button ups, and this is all irrelevant. We just want to wear. I just want to dress like a German soccer manager. I want to wear. I want to go home and put on a track suit.
0: Um, this weekend, I did want to say, before we get into Master of None, because Andy and I both, we dabble in culture, not only as our job, but as our passion. But now... And people, when you do what you love, it's not really work. But people now know
1: what we're wearing when we do yes, it. Yes.
0: I do want to say that what I did do in my Brett Favre Wrangler outfit this weekend was I, I indulged myself and allowed myself a, a, another rewatch of Michael Mann's mm. Heat. The new Blu-ray is out. Yeah. And um, it has all these, like, special, uh, you know, spe- special edition. Um, Bells and whistles. Bells and whistles. Like, they have the uh, Michael Mann. It's oh, there, a Pacino De Niro panel talk hosted by Christopher Nolan, who is basically, like, did you know you fathered my whole style? Really? There's a great Michael Mann, Michael Mann Q&A. There's a bunch of deleted scenes. There's a bunch of docs. But not unlike Blade Runner. Heat is a movie that is so good looking yeah. that every time they're like, yeah, you want to improve it a little bit? Let's just improve it a little bit. You're like, yeah. yes. It's okay. not because it it seems like it just gets deepened and widened and more and more uh, beautiful and detailed the, with every restoration and every advance in technology. For some reason, as a source material, it keeps actually
1: looking better. We were a little bit spoiled because that movie came out when we were seniors in high school. Yeah. And, and I walked to the theater twice yeah, in a blizzard. I was like, I, I think this story gets more and
0: more. I was about to give you older. that story yeah. because
1: we just alluded to being friends for twenty years. We met in '96. One of the first things I knew about you was that you had walked back and forth to <laughs> like Penn's Landing, right? Riverdale, River, not Riverdale, River. What was the Riverfront? Yeah, the Riverfront, like Columbus Avenue. Right. So Boulevard, Columbus, Columbus. You walk, you walk to the river, yeah. basically yeah, from yeah. where you lived yeah. uh, by the Art Museum. In my memory of it, it was multiple, more than two times to just see twice. Heat in the theater. Yeah, just you twice. Went to print the legend. <laughs> this is how much this movie meant to you. But this movie, it, it is, it, it, I know I'm sounding like a, this is the Stefan review, but this movie literally has everything. Yeah, it has it has intrigue, gun battles, Val Kilmer's ponytail, Hank it, is such, area. it is such a rich, rich Brennan. text yeah. of a film. And I, there was a moment when I think I, I took it for granted because I was like, well there are always going to be movies like this. Of course you could just get the complete, you could make the Golden State Warriors uh, cast, yeah. basically, yeah. of a film and have them do just just ill, savage shit in a movie for three and a half hours and have it look beautiful. Apparently you can't do that unless the cast are actually emojis. Yes. Because that's what we do now with movies. <laughs> yeah. So it's exciting to hear that you've, you've returned to this. I feel like, I mean, I, I haven't listened to this podcast yet. What did, what Talk, talk to me about it.
0: Me and Bill's pod? Yeah, it was Norman Lear. We Le- did it a while ago. Was Norman Lear on it? Yeah, it was uh, Norman Lear, Cousin Sal. No, it was, it was we talked to, we just broke down uh, all the lessons you can learn from Heat. Wayne Grow, is that his name? That was, he's a character in it, yes. Ted Levine. But it's just like, it's an incredible version. It just recently <laughs> that, just came out on Friday, I think, but that, it's. That's a character in the film. I you know. know. It's pretty awesome. Uh, I know that you spent some time with the Paramore record. Look, I'm just saying, I love new music. I still love new music.
1: You, you 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 don't feel that way. I do. I just I I just it just takes me a while to catch up with everything that's out there. I was going to say this new Paramore record. We talked about that on the other week. I wasn't really feeling that first single because it was a little bit bleached blondie. Because it wasn't for on me. that where the where
0: the lines overlap ish. We we
1: were we were throwing it back. <laughs> but the rest of the record, very nice. Yeah, very nice little lilting '80s grooves. But you know Haley's feeling things now. There is a song on there called 26 and it's about that's a tough year for some people <laughs> how does that make you feel <laughs> grandpa um no but i mean there's there is a lot of good music coming out right at this moment it's very exciting maybe we'll throw a playlist up there i'm completely in love with a band from australia called rolling blackouts coastal fever <laughs> which is don't laugh because you know a band is good when they had two good names for their band and they were like fuck it we'll yeah, use right. both right um there's there's how do you how, feel about, what do they sound like sound a little bit like a rockabilly go-betweens oh okay how do you feel about that that's that's fine they're on sub pop I love this record. I love this EP. How do you feel about Heim? Remember those those ladies? How do I feel about Heim? I feel like Heim's good at being Heim. They're so good at doing that. Yeah, their new song is so good at being a Heim song. I love it. Um, this, this this woman from San Francisco, Hazel English, has new songs out. Like, there's good music. Bleachers, our boy Jack. Yeah, he's just bringing bringing back souvenirs from Hitsville, USA. Man, it's a good time for records. I really
0: like uh, Draco by Future.
1: You just really listen to. <laughs> So let me see. You put on your athleisure.
0: <laughs> you turn off the lights. I listen to a playlist of ACDC that I made. That are like it's like a Powerage and Highway to Hell. Yeah. Um, and for those about to rock. And then I also listen to Cymbals Eat guitars a lot. Oh, wow. And uh, I listen to a oh. This is good. Yeah. Because I read an excellent interview with the music supervisor of Master of None and Vulture. Oh, yeah. I've been listening to a very long Larry LeVan, like, Paradise Garage playlist. I love that. So that is the vibe, musical vibe, that they were kind of going for It's terrific. Master it's of a None, great vibe. Which an is...
1: unappreciated vibe. Let me also just say, before we get into talking about Master of None. Yeah. If we're being totally honest, I mostly just listen to the Moana soundtrack, <laughs> because that's what my life is. <laughs> could be worse. Yeah. Could be Frozen. That's the only other thing we listen to. So, uh, Chris, I have one question for you. Yeah. Do you want to build a snowman?
0: No, I want to make. I want to learn to make pasta.
1: Yes. Let's talk about that.
0: I want to be. There are a lot of reasons to watch television shows.
1: Mm, whoa! You're just 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 cranking so it back. So you
0: can you can, you can watch television shows because the plot is compelling or the performances are excellent you and could. hopefully both, in the writing or the dialogue or maybe um, the world building. Mm. But there are some television shows you just want to like spend time with.
1: You want to just jump in.
0: Yeah. And that was actually part of the reason why Billions was so good this year was that aside from like all the like hilarious dialogue uh and machinations of high finance and the the Southern District of New York's lawyers, they just like went to restaurants and tried to buy the New York Giants and did very like stuff where you're just like, Yeah, that's that's what's up. Try try to buy the Giants.
1: Like like this is what you want to do in your Brett Favre. Sure.
0: Yeah. But the f- what Master of None does, I, don't, I, I, like, I, I appreciate the fact, I, all the nods to classic Italian cinema
1: and Woody Allen's uh, classic
0: 70s New no York No one movies. loves
1: classic Italian cinema more than Chris Ryan.
0: And I, there's lots going on in Master of None. But what it mostly has mm-hmm. is a really, really inviting vibe. And it cares about the things that I care about, namely pasta mm-hmm. and music.
1: Yeah, it, th- yes. And um, film.
0: Those are three things that I love. I love pasta, music, and film. You love the show,
1: yeah. I want to say I, I think the first season of Master of None really snuck up on on me. Not obviously, it was heralded when it came out, and I watched the first few episodes. We we talked about it on the podcast. I don't, I didn't finish it for a couple weeks, if not a couple months. And when I went back and I saw those last few episodes, they they definitely it, it caught me off guard mm-hmm. because especially that episode near the end, mornings, where it tells the whole relationship through the mornings, and it was very ambitious and really successful. Um and I basically went into the season. Uh, I didn't for some reason I didn't read the reviews because I sort of. It's interesting. Usually I do because that used to be my job to write them. <laughs> right. But also last summer, um, I went to the Montreal Comedy Festival and I did a panel with Aziz and Alan Yang and, uh, and, Aziz, and the, Noel.
0: Uh, Aziz, Aziz just did a podcast with Bill on Friday that people did.
1: should check out. You definitely should check that out. Awesome pod. Um. Didn't really talk about the panel I did in Montreal, but other than that, yeah, you know that part got cut. That part got cut, but the part where where, where Tate <laughs> biffed a couple uh, <laughs> Watch the Throne references made it, which I appreciated. Um, no, and it was interesting because for, it was interesting for two reasons. One, uh, Aziz truly does dress like that IRL. He was absolutely wearing Italian loafers with no socks and a shirt button unbuttoned to that degree. So respect. Two, I knew that they were going to Italy. They would just come back from scouting, and they were going to Italy. And I said, "Can we? Can I talk to you guys scouting. about that?" <laughs> yeah, I know. No, exactly, yeah. exactly. This is what I'm getting at. Yeah. And they said, "Please don't, because we don't want anyone to know anything about this show." Right. And I really appreciated that, like that. And so I sort of bought into that. This show is a sh- is is very unique for this era. Um, unique to this era. It is not necessarily entirely unique because we are in this new um uh period of completely personal subjective auteurish television but in especially
0: this, in that half hour dramedy yeah. zone
1: but this is a show about people with strong passions and they're just exploring them mm-hmm. and what we saw and i only watched the first three and i heard the of the new season i can't wait to watch the rest i've heard the fourth first date is really really good mm-hmm. i experienced kind of the highs and lows of that ethos in these two episodes watch the first episode I, this is not a spoiler. I think people know about the this. Thief. Yeah. The Thief, it is an ode to The Bicycle Thief and Italian cinema as he's directed it. It is in black and white. It is very beautiful and ambitious. Um, it says what it's doing right at the beginning when he wakes up in bed and on one bedside table are um, cookbooks and on the other are uh, DVDs of classic Italian films. <laughs> yes, It really lets you know what's yes. up. I watched this and I was overjoyed. I thought it was beautiful and it was funny and it was engaging and it was very personal. And it was also just like there was an element Like when you see, you can see this in sports often. Sometimes you see this when you go to a concert, when you see people and they're just executing on a high level and they know they are Mm -hmm. and they're having a blast doing it. And that was intoxicating. It was so fun for me to see him do that. And I was so excited because, for all the reasons you're saying, like we get to have a guy like this, we get to have a guy who starts off as kind of a goofy comedian and then just pushes and pushes. And that is what Woody Allen did as well. Yeah. Um, And it's interesting to note, I think Woody Allen was like 40 when he did Annie Hall and Aziz has just turned 34. Um, The flip side of of this enthusiasm came in episode two, which is when you see that he's just turned 34 because I thought that the second episode, the other one in Italy where Eric Wareheim's character comes and they crash a wedding and they eat a lot of pasta and Mm -hmm. and take a lot of um, boomerang videos on their phones was the downside of just doing things that you love because there was no reason for this episode, I thought. I mean, it was cute, but it was really kind of empty in a way that at a certain point bugged me because they fell back on a sort of cutesy we're just having fun thing which look more power to them if i could make a tv show i would 1000 percent go to italy i would 1000 percent go to japan to film these things or just hang out with chefs i mean they got massimo bottoro who's arguably the best chef in the world on the show yeah. which meant they probably got to eat his food while they were they very it. much did yeah so that's what you should do if you have netflix's money but there was a i don't i, I don't even know what to say this because this is the flip side, when you let someone reach for things, and this is what TV can do better than any other medium, sometimes they're going to fall. And I thought this was an immature episode of TV. Mm-hmm. I don't mean to say that to damn the project. I just mean that that's part of what you get. It When it didn't really have something to say, other than, well, maybe I like being single now and I've moved on a little bit, but you also want to kiss uh, Penne, it's going to be a little bit, I thought it was a little shallow.
0: Here's my counterpoint. I, and, and I think that one of the issues here is that not unlike Annie Hall in Manhattan, and some of those great Woody Allen movies, Aziz's performance—and this is not taking away anything nope. from his con- contribution I, I, to I the show, which is almost complete—with with, with, you know, obviously he has collaborating with Alan Yang and other writers, and
1: but he's directing it; he's he's uh, yeah. running it.
0: It's it's not it's not even that it's weak. It's just that it is not a very emotionally dynamic, no, complex performance. Right? So, like, he is a pretty flat performer. He it feels like he is reading lines at times. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he's especially in the more like connective like the story must move forward parts where he's like trying to say like, I need to go get my bike mm-hmm. uh, or my phone or whatever. Um, but that being said, I thought that the second episode worked because if you take a step back, if if there had been a little bit more nuance or a little bit more uh, signaling of this, I, I think I would be right. In, in this case, I just think I might be right. That that episode was sort of about, you know, no matter where you are, no matter how beautiful those s- surroundings are, no matter how great the food you eat, there is still can be an emptiness inside of you if you don't feel like you're sharing it with the person you love. And yeah. there is a lot of balance in Master of None about, like, you know, how much can you get from your life with your friends versus your life with your significant other. And I think the fact that he is in these incredible places, he leaves that restaurant— To text Rachel, you know, like he is there is something where even the best food cannot fill the hole in his heart. Oh, and uh, I thought it got it that. And I think that that the the show, Aziz is somebody who likes to be on his phone a lot. Yeah, as, as
1: I've read, thousand percent from true. multiple he,
0: features and seen from his his Instagram feed or whatever. He you know? is
1: he is unlike a lot of comedians that I've interviewed or spent time around. And and there's a, he makes a great joke about this on Bill's podcast. He is not on unless he's on. When he is officially not on, like not in front of a microphone, he is all the way off. If you don't know him, right? And, that, and respect to him. for so that.
0: So it's he spends as much time on his phone as he does being in Modena or being. You know what I mean? Like, we see him make pasta once. We see him on his phone 20 times. That is, in itself, a commentary on the character. And I don't know how self-aware it is or not. And I don't know that even if it really totally matters. But I think that there is something that is a little critical of itself and is like, this is the sort of emotional vacancy happening in this character because he's tried to fill his life with these things that ultimately maybe don't satisfy him.
1: That is there. And that is important to note. What I think is, it's not considered yet and that's okay i mean i want to step back and be clear that one of the reasons i love tv i think that you do too especially in this era is that we can see warts and all we see the process it's fun to be a fan i also of-
0: like it because i get to go pre-pajama when i'm watching tv <laughs> you're just happy but if i that go moment. to the movies i gotta go full day, full day it's <laughs> a
1: really crucial point that's probably why tv is so popular yeah um we should tell our wives that um <laughs> One of the f- great things about watching an artist develop is that you get to see them warts and all develop, right? You get to see them take swings and miss, and that's fun when you're watching the career of a musician. It's fun, um, uh, and it, and it's fun with comedians, and it's fun especially now watching them as television artists because that is a thing that didn't used to exist. Um, I think that one of my frustrations about Master of None is in some ways not really legitimate frustration or it's an uh, impatient frustration because i'm so impressed with what aziz is doing and alan yang like what the opportunity what the way they've taken hold of this opportunity and what they're using it for um what interests them you know we in in the interview with bill aziz talks about how he's taking these hiatuses and he's he mo- he really did move to italy for three months to learn how to make pasta he moved to tokyo for three months he did crash did he language go to, japan to
0: learn how to make pizza
1: no he, le- he just ate a lot of pizza there and then bill kept harping on it
0: is pizza good in japan
1: everything is good in Japan. all the food is perfect they're just, they, they're the best at everything. All right. Like that is a full declarative statement. I would love to uh, have the ringer send me there to just back it up. I'm just going to put that uh, out into the no. ether. <laughs> no, no, um, wait.
0: No. <laughs> that's no.
1: going to be a hard note. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, it was worth a shot. <laughs> um, uh, you know, he, he does these crash language courses and he learned some Italian. Like he really cares about this stuff and we're seeing him chase his passions. Yeah. But uh, I don't know if he is fully, um, and he would, I feel like no one would want this to be. I don't think he's fully. Realized who he is as an artist yet. We're seeing him midway. You know, by the time Woody Allen made Annie Hall, he was older. He had had more relationship experience, and he was like, and it was the synthesis of the comedy he had been making with this strain of melancholy that had always existed mm-hmm. in it, with something to say. What's interesting about Master of None because he's making. He's made twenty of these now, twenty episodes, and each one is very distinct, which is another thing I appreciate about it. Is that sometimes he and Alan have something to say. Sometimes they try to say something and they don't quite make it, and some other times they don't. You know, it's just a comedy. That's all that. That's what it should be. But I do notice that in the early going, um, sometimes they bump up against something pretty profound or interesting, and then they back away because you know, which is which is appropriate for younger people, I think, and for anyone trying to make art. It's scary to like go all the way in and say something, but. Sometimes the main emotional takeaway from the show, uh, and again, not every comedy needs a main emotional takeaway. This yeah. is already in rarefied air to be well, having this, is this conversation. Sort of like,
0: it's funny that but, we're even talking about it. In exactly. Terms, yeah.
1: But if the takeaway is, well, maybe they're on their phones too much, or they're on their phones a lot, or they're not questioning that the, that the phones are so much a part of it because the attitude is, well, we're just sort of taking our reality and putting it on screen. Um, the religion episode has a pretty nice... Um, a build to it and the last beat with the mother is really with his mother is really strong but when it comes there are moments when it could hit harder and it just sort of it shrugs it does a kind of uh, stand up what me worry kind of thing about it yeah and,
0: or it, it's it's i think it's a show that you know will grapple with very uh with pretty serious subjects but also never want to lose sight of the food truck you know it always wants yeah it always wants to kind of get back to like the core kind of it, like pleasures in life, and I and I appreciate it for and, that and, because and, and, TV is a pleasure in life, and sometimes it's, it's just kind of interesting to it's think nice about not the, to be on the sex boat
1: to think about the way the show is being considered. Um, we really are in an auteur era where the differences between Louis, Atlanta, Master of None, really, I think you can say are the differences um, on a human level, or an, not? That's not fair, and on an artistic level between Louis C.K., Donald Glover, and Aziz.
0: Okay, so I think then. I I want to talk about the leftovers, but I feel like catastrophe slides really well into this conversation. Slide it in because uh, it's another show that I really enjoy just watching for the real estate and the and the jokes, the bits. Sure, you know? and then there is like an underlying, very kind of dark and. Um, at times, like, teetering off the edge of stability to it, you know, because, like, these are two people who are kind of not supposed to be together but have decided to be together, and now they have uh, two children, mm-hmm. and now they are, you know, like, holding on to their sobriety and their, you know, and their family and 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 whether Mono- or not monogamy. monogamy and all these other things. And um, I find myself, I mean, I think catastrophe is great, but I do find myself enjoying it the most when it is, Banter between Rob and Sharon—they're
1: so good. Yeah, they're they're they really. They're, what do you
0: think about the other the other chambers? To to borrow Wu Tangism,
1: it, it's it, this is actually it fits in with our conversation about the leftovers too. Which to be a fan of TV now means to really requires you to embrace something that I think runs against some impulse that we all have, which is anti-perfectionism. You know, TV has never been perfect, but now that we're treating it like the way we would treat cinema, you know, we expect a more thoughtful, considered perfect, smoothly perfect kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I joked that I was listening to a lot of Moana and stuff, but like now I am watching these Disney movies due to my children and... They are gleaming perfect boxes. Like it's amazing how the Pixar, you know, it's, it, those aren't Pixar movies, but John Lasseter from Pixar brought his storytelling. And it's like, there are no rough edges. It's right. just, it's incredible. Um, they should be hung in a museum. And I don't even always mean that as a compliment. But TV is not that now. TV has always been messy, but now it has artistic aspirations. And so you sort of have to accept that. And so to love catastrophe, which I do, and we're talking about, you know, the third season is on Amazon now, there have always been these things that, just, that have just jarred. There, there are moments where it's like this is I've never seen two people talk like this on TV and oh my god it's so funny and it's so cutting at the same time they're totally unique and then it has the side characters and you're like well that's a little broad like the friend who has the drug problem yeah oh that doesn't quite fit um, we sort of have to accept that now and it even though I was would write articles for Granlin saying this is what we have to accept I still sort of rebel against it internally sometimes and I, and I feel you I think that you know that it's baked in, especially to a show like Catastrophe. Everything being a mess is kind of baked in, so that these moments of transcendence are are the um, are surprise are the surprise almost. Yeah. Um, it's it's a weird for a show that I was so excited to have to come back because I love hearing them talk and joke. It's a it can be a, a rough watch. Yeah. Um, what it di- what it's doing this season, I haven't finished. I'm halfway through. What it's doing with Rob's sobriety is pretty wild, um, because. Any other show, that is the show. That's the story, right? But at least through the first half of season three, it's just quietly happening in the background. Yeah, and you're just
0: going out bartering the day. And and you're
1: so invested in them that you're like, every time they don't mention it, Your brain, your animal brain is like, like,
0: you smell of chips, and you're like, you know, that he's rubbed it all over himself to distract. But but in the moment
1: before she says that, your animal brain is like, well, they haven't referenced it in a while. Maybe it's over. Yeah, right. As if. Like maybe
0: this is a different kind of show that just drops plot lines. Yeah, exactly.
1: Like maybe he got better and they wouldn't use that for plot. Like you forget that you're watching a TV show. It it can really yank at you. I mean, it's very interesting. Um, So much of our conversation these days about all these shows is that this idea of TV is not comforting us <laughs> even though we always keep saying oh we want we want to put on our cozy wear or we there's want to like get...
0: tons of television we could be talking about that would be comforting
1: like cupcake battle hosted just talk by about hosted by superstore
0: Dev. every week and you know or or whatever like it's people it, like superstore yeah i think so they like
1: it right it's yeah. fine have you ever watched it yes really yeah what did you what do you have to say about it It's very comforting. (laughs) Okay. Yeah.
0: Um, Let's talk about something that is not that comforting, which is the leftovers after this week. Uh, But we'll do that after we hear from our sponsors. This episode of The Watch is brought to you by the new Showtime limited event series, Twin Peaks. What's up with that? How is Twin Peaks back? What are the greatest television shows of
1: all time? I can't. Aside I just, from Great
0: British Bake Off.
1: I just want to live in a world. I can't billions. believe I live in a world where my favorite TV show of all time is not only coming back, it's sponsoring my podcast. It's
0: Andy's favorite TV show of all time. Everyone has their own list and debates get fiercer every year. But what critics have called the golden age of television, and, you know, it keeps serving up these beautiful, challenging contenders, yada yada. But there's no denying that many of the great shows being made today, Mm -hmm. they owe a small debt to a town in the Pacific Northwest called Twin Peaks. Or a large debt. Pay David Lynch what you owe him. Mm -hmm. When it premiered in 1990, Twin Peaks broke more rules than it followed. Mm -hmm. From surreal imagery to deadpan quirk, David Lynch's uncompromising vision forced television to stretch and grow in new ways. As audiences followed Special Agent Dale Cooper into a world he called wonderful and strange, they were also stepping away from the primetime culture that had grown predictable and safe. Well, David Lynch is bringing Twin Peaks back to TV, and fans worldwide are counting on the unexpected. That, and some damn good coffee. Twin Peaks premieres May 21st at 9, only on Showtime. That is this coming Sunday. We cannot believe it's happening. We'll be talking about it next week. Download the Showtime app and start your free trial now. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Tile. What if you could find Anything in seconds. Now you can with Tile. It's a tiny Bluetooth tracker that makes finding your things easier than ever. Let me tell you something about about your boy CR. Yeah. Kind
1: of a key loser. Learning a lot today.
0: Also, only realize I've lost my keys or my money clip as I'm about to go out the door. The Uber is there. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? My wife is like, let's go. The reservation is in X minutes. And I'm like, one second. I need to find the two most important things in my life my keys and my wallet. I don't have to worry about that anymore. Tile is basically my my GPS for my stuff. Wow. Finding your things is easy. You just open up the free Tile app on your phone, and you see your lost item on the map. Then you quickly find their, I, your item by making your Tile ring, and it'll be back in your hands in a second. So it's just like your keys are in the couch cushions. Yeah. Ding, ding. Go get it. If it's your phone that's missing, you just double press on your Tile, like on your keys or whatever... And it'll make it ring even if it's on silent. Every day, over 2 million lost items are located with Tile. Join the millions who have used Tile to find their lost stuff. Get yours today at gettile.com slash watch and save up to 30% on a Tile multi-pack plus free shipping. And because Tile makes the perfect gift, for a limited time, get a free gift box with a multi-pack order. Go to gettile.com slash watch. That's gettile.com slash watch. Find your stuff. We are back. let's talk a little bit about the sex boat and the leftovers. the sex lion lion um I want you to start because oh. I, uh, I I'm still trying to articulate my feelings about this, but what you have to deal with when you're talking about um especially these last few episodes of the leftovers, which we thought time was five mm-hmm. and there are eight um is the fact that the, int- the scrutiny is going to be kind of ramped up a little bit, and I think people are going to start talking about endings a little mm-hmm. bit more, and you're also going to get Damon Lindelof, who was ha- nice enough to come on our podcast and talk a lot about this season. He's been talking a little bit more. There was an interview on Vulture last night uh, with Matt Zoller Seitz. More than an interview. Yeah, like a, like quite a... Bloodletting. Quite an exchange, conversation. yeah, um, which you can detail, and... So I think that the way we talk about the show and the show, the way that people understand and view the show is going to change it from from now going forward, right? Because these are the closing arguments.
1: Yes, and it's interesting that, I mean, this is a show that, the show is about struggling with and maybe rejecting narrative, despite the fact that that's what TV does. That's what religion does. You know, you want to put a bow on it. You want... You want there to be a God telling you it's okay. You, you want, want there to be a story. I
0: don't know that there's a story here anymore. Not no. in a bad way. I just don't know that yes. there is a single story that is being told.
1: I mean, I suppose it is the fate of Kevin Garvey or, or the family or the fate of the world after this happened. It could be any of those things, right. you know, and that's something that is so exhilarating. This We sort of talked about this briefly when we spoke to Damon this time and when I spoke to him last year. Season two ended with an ending, and then there's... what do you do next there's always a little bit more you know that you could play with and eight episodes is, as it turns out not very much time to do it um hard to talk about this week's episode without talking about last week's and we had we didn't reference we didn't get to it last week um last week's episode was good day Melbourne and that was the um uh, Nora and Kevin go to Australia and then completely fall apart um I struggled with that episode I I didn't love it um I didn't love it because it times it felt like a lot of work. And dovetailing very neatly with our conversation a moment ago about um, accepting the bad with the good and the sort of the glorious mess of a tour-driven TV, these two weeks of the leftovers had that in common in that it's still TV, they're still moving pieces, right? And so you have to get the you have to get the chess pieces in the right place. And they had to get Kevin and Nora to Australia. Mm-hmm. And you also had to break them up and or you didn't have to, but that was the story they wanted to tell. That seemed like.
0: Well, obviously, also with the, the flash forward in the first episode right. of this season, Nora, Something. or at least somebody who looks like it's, her. Yeah, it was her. Doesn't know who Kevin is or, or claims or is not to. Pretending not to. Yeah. So
1: you had to make good on that. And so what I felt was there was a lot of work and a lot of smart people putting in a lot of effort towards accomplishing those goals. And in the pursuit of those goals, there were some pretty spectacular moments the uh Kevin completely losing it with the hallucination of of Evie um, the scene uh, of of Nora this is all last week um, basically answering one question wrong and then losing her chance at whatever it was she was chasing mm-hmm. um, just the idea again just the, the I've said before the show is so brilliant with its choices this the idea of her being handed a baby right before getting on the bus I mean that's it's excruciating and so pointed and exact and right for that moment but at the end of last week's episode, I think left me feeling like a little bit exhausted, not necessarily in a moved way. Like, boy, that was just a lot Mm -hmm. of lifting. Um, this week was, I think a far superior episode. It fucked me up in the way only leftovers does, which is it leaves me kind of uh, spiritually exhausted, um, narratively thrilled and exhilarated. Um, And also it drives me mad a little bit. I mean, that was, the, the ratios are all changed. The first season just left me mad for many of these reasons. Um, but it was still the same show. And to start this episode, like, okay, well, we have to get more people to Australia. But first we have to have a naked Frenchman <clears throat> cause a nuclear event in just this beautiful, bizarre, very nude set piece. Um, and then, but then we have to get them there. Oh, well, how are we going to get them there? Well, Matt knows a guy who can fly a cargo plane nonstop from Texas to Australia on a moment's notice. It's like, at that moment, much like religion, See this is why it all works I think. Much like religion, you're either in or you're out. You're either buying the story or you're not. And if you're one of the people who I briefly was, who was just like, who's this guy? He's going to fly him where? Then and if you're out, okay, you're out, but then you miss the rest of the story. Right. So you have to buy in. This episode, much like all the Matt episodes, there was the first the one in the first season where he gambles the money and you you know and you know he's going to lose the money. Right. There's the second season one where he has to get Mary back into the town and he can't get her back into the town. I've struggled with the Matt episodes more than any of the other character episodes, I think, because they have felt the most rollercoastery to me. Like, there's this construction, you know he's going to get punched in the stomach at some point. Mm-hmm. This season, I think, this one, last night's, was the most clever about it, because he literally was punched in the stomach, and so it seemed to be aware of its absurdity. Um, we also had Kevin Carroll just making those faces at him every time he checked back in with him, or Amy Brenneman, who, by the way fits in very well on a lion sex boat I mean she really looked like she had like dressed the po- she was just ready for that boat um, and it so I all this is to say I, I wasn't sure I was pushed I was pulled by it and then we get to this moment where he's having this conversation with Bill Camp who claims to be God uh, and then Matt decides to have the conversation with him as if he is God and it's incredibly effective it's an incredibly smart choice it's totally disorienting and destabilizing. And that character and has popped up a couple of times over the course
0: of the and, series. And,
1: and again, in the way that this the show Literally. is pulling off this yeah. amazing thing, where it works on numerous levels, Bill Camp, who we all remember from The Night Of, Detective uh, S- somehow can do with this incredible Australian okay. accent. And he appeared twice in Kevin's afterlife. Mm-hmm. So maybe he is God. Who knows? I love that kind of thing. You didn't need to know that. You didn't need to remember he was that guy, but you could. And then also, I think, if I remember correctly, the guy in the pillar in... in in miracle, the miracle, guy who just died,
0: has a letter to get. He gives to John to say, like, give this to to
1: Burton. To Burton. Whoa, really? Yeah, that was in Sepulveda. They had a st- Damn, screenshot of that. I didn't realize that. But so, so so.
0: But what does that mean?
1: But here's the thing. It, it is a show about belief and how much we're willing to trust stories. And here's the thing. Here's the last thing I want to say before I cede the floor to you about this. I don't. I I would be hard pressed to remember a more perfect and a more perfect ending to an hour of television than this episode. God gets fucking eaten by a lion. And Christopher Eccleston. God bless him. It was all worth it, his run on the show. You know, I think it was it was bumpy. He was in upstate New York. Then he was nude in Texas. And now he's on a boat in Tasmania. All worth it for his reading of, that's the guy I was telling you about. <laughs> I it, That was a kind of, there's a purity to that. That I feel like anyone who is writing creatively is chasing that—that that, literally that line reading, that line, and that out on an episode. It was, it was beautiful.
0: Um, I think we've talked before about how this series season feels like a collection of short stories rather than mm-hmm. a interlocking so traditional far, yeah. television narrative. Perhaps now in these last few episodes, now that every all the primary characters are in Australia, it'll feel a little bit different than that. Um, people sometimes mistake. I know that I do, saying, oh, it's like a collection of short stories for, it's a a series of chapters, Mm -hmm. and it's really not. These stories actually don't really feel like they have all that much to do with each other. There are parts of it that tie up or untie um, loose ends, you know, from the first two seasons of the show. And we see glimpses of this wider world of scientists who may be engaging in, uh, you know, a con mm-hmm. who are trying to build this portal into another dimension to go. be ex- And each time you get to the end of these episodes, typically what you find out is that you may have been victim of a ruse, but mm-hmm. that ruse also may have been true. So those scientists are mm-hmm. like, we can send you there. But there is a very good chance that when you get there, what there is, is in fact oblivion. Floating in space. You're dead. And just like the Burton character is like, I am God, but I am a much more droll, (laughs) ironic figure than the one that Mm -hmm. I've been portrayed to be over the years. And and, And if you believe in me, you know, do it at your own. Don't do it because of my judgment. Do it because it's what you want to do and these sort of like essays that happen that thematically arrive at the similar point but i do think that and i you know i i think i'm i'm transmitting the frustrations of other people i know who are watching this show is that all these metaphors and all these fables and all these allegories are actually while interesting not getting anywhere when actually the se- second season did a lot of work to take mm-hmm. us somewhere and that it's not that it's undoing what was good about the second season because i still happily watch the show and enjoy it and you know you can't make what happened last night unless you're incredibly good at making television mm-hmm. it was fascinating i thought but i also think that you're ending show you're ending an episode on a punchline and you are then leaving it up to, I mean, we say every time, Leftovers is about madness. Leftovers is mm-hmm. about faith or belief. But that's just because we say so. I don't even know, like, it It sometimes feels like we're just doing, like, a book report about a book that's not really there.
1: I, the reason I'm sad the show is, is, is ending, um, which I didn't realize I was, honestly, because the whole thing felt like it's like a cosmic joke, too. I mean, I, I hated it, and then I got trolled by it, and I got drawn back in. And now I just find it, um, pretty exceptional. Um, but I think I am sad about it, not because there's any narrative story that I'm, uh, I want more of. Mm-hmm. I don't really need, I don't need more Nora Durst. It's fine. I get it. Um, I mean, there's more to come, but I, I, I feel at peace with this performance. But, but what I'm saying is this show has done something that few shows do. It is touching a third rail of emotional storytelling it is essentially not a show about these characters anymore, as so much as it is a, sto- a show about the stories we tell ourselves and how they operate in yes. the world. And the idea of, of of grieving as a story that we tell ourselves and, and role we play. And all we want is someone to give us the lines. You know what I mean? They want us, We want to know. We want the instructions. And, I agree
0: with you, and, but and, there is still a countdown to this. Sure, second well, th- this coming, and there are still all of the signifiers of like, will they? Yeah, achieve their
1: quest. Will this happen or not? That's why the degree of difficulty is just unimaginable here, because because exactly that. To me, the appropriate ending of The Leftovers is a wry joke, like what what Matt delivered at the end of the episode. Um, That would feel totally appropriate. (laughs) I don't
0: know that that would have been the jokes in the second season. I think that's the joke of this season. I felt like the second second season season had a sort of kind of catharsis and an idea Behind it, about family yes. that made sense to me with the characters it, it, that were in it.
1: It also had specific objectives, such as Kevin was being hunted by Ann Dowd. Mm-hmm. What was he going to do about that? Um, you know that w- that was a plot of, and that gave them that gave them uh, a trajectory. This isn't necessarily that's not really there anymore. It's really more about what happens afterwards, which is really what the show has always been about on a macro level. I'm just really, I, I just still get undone and, and haunted by this thing of, you know, last week, Laurie, who is a therapist, who, who who exists in this world, who sees what's happening around her, and the story she still holds on to is one of um, unvarnished, unflinching scientific truth. And her truth is about he's having a, a manic episode, and he needs to be spoken to as if he's having this manic episode. And he, she talks to him a certain way, and everyone treats him a certain way and listens to her a certain way. All these stories that everyone carries overlap. They're all kind of true, and they're all kind of bullshit. And in in admitting that, the show is also admitting the kind of void that lurks behind all of these stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so that the f- so that uh, you know the flip from Kevin seeing Evie to seeing the actual person, the flip from Matt talking to a crazy lunatic on a boat to talking to God, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah the amount of thoughtfulness and consideration and artfulness to even get to this point where, where, we're, where we're vibing off that. Yes, that's right. That makes sense to me. That's pretty exceptional. And it, it's the, the other layer of interesting, interestingness to put onto this or is worthy of conversation, I think, is the, the conversation with Matt Seitz you referenced because what came out after the episode um, aired last night was that Damon had said to Matt Seitz, Matt Seitz is the really excellent TV critic for New York Magazine and Vulture, uh, that this episode was in many ways inspired by him. And this was, I'm sure, as totally bizarre and unsettling to Matt as it was when he said that our podcast inspired the opening of season two. Um, it also led to a much deeper catharsis in this conversation than we had probably <laughs> think so, it, because yeah. he was just literally <laughs> fucking with us yeah. as opposed to trying to chase something. And I really recommend people read this because it is really insightful just in terms of compassion and art and, you know, and also how we take influence. Because basically, Damon was saying, you know, you, Matt Seitz, you are a fan of the show. You made a compelling argument for the show. You have written very forcefully as to why the Matt Jamison episodes matter to you, and that mattered to me. But he also said to Matt Seitz, you know, I've read your personal essays about losing your wife, and Matt Seitz's wife died suddenly and tragically young uh, 11 years ago. And Matt's written pieces about that. And what was amazing about this is they've never spoken about that. Damon doesn't know the details of this but he was inspired by what how it made him feel so there's this weird like whisper down the lane thing mm-hmm. that that other people's lives can give us that was implicit in this now i guess the potential pushback is you know damon damon loves to share he lo- he's very emotionally available as people who have spoken to him or heard him on podcasts know. leaving twitter is probably a good idea for him and yet he can't pull away and so in this con- so I think there might be some people who could read this long 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 thing and be like well this is now now I know too much this is too much transparency right behind how this was made and didn't leave me in this place of my own subjective uh emotional reaction to the episode is that fair to say
0: Yeah I think that it's it's a bracing interview to read it's a bracing conversation but when I started reading it I was like my thoughts on this show don't really Stack up here. You know what I mean? Like my, it's it, it's interesting in this time where like we have so much access to people who are creative, where the people who are writing about shows have influence on the shows. Where you know we, you know that there is this two way conversation happening. Mm-hmm. That that sometimes kind of um, can assume the role of that that that's for me. That's like that conversation is the conversation people should reference when they're talking about this episode because that's the creator of the show talking about the yeah. person who inspired the show. So I, w- what we're saying is that we're watching this as viewers, right? I, I, it was a very 2017 thing to happen to, yeah. f- to sort of feel like, oh, well, I guess that's what that was about.
1: Having been, you know, in a minor way on both sides of this, what I would say is, I mean, having, having you know, spent a lot of time thinking about shows writing about them, like like Matt Seitz did, and then now trying to write for them. One of the reasons why showrunners in this day and age are very engaged with um, and responsive to critics is because they're the only they're the only two people thinking about it this much. People watch TV in their cozy wear, you know, in their Brett Favre wear, mm. and they have their experience, and it's engaged or it's not, and it depends on the day they had or or the the you know the thread count of the sweatpants they're wearing or whatever. And they move on to next week or to Master of None or to, um, you know, uh, Samurai Gourmet or whatever else is on their DVR. And every inch of every show being made, certainly for, I mean, you could say this about anything, but particularly for cable or streaming in this era is just sweated over, the the most minute degree. You know, everything. If if there's a, there really aren't throwaway moments, even if you never reference them. So to have spent all this time in a room dying over something and then you read something where someone was like i'm gonna think about this i'm gonna tease out something also you feel heard you know i can only imagine what it's like for people who sweat over something to the degree damon did over the leftovers over a year and a half of their life and then they just then it gets put out there Mm -hmm. and not just and it gets put out there and then you know people are watching master of none and excited for twin peaks and they're talking about the leftovers too but to have someone be like I hear you, and I'm ready to have this conversation with you. The the, the truth is, the showrunners and the writers they're like, bet, like we've been waiting to have this conversation with someone in public for a year. Yeah. So I I don't think I under, I don't think it. I don't think it um takes over. I don't think it that that should be the defining version of it. Everyone's own yeah, interaction. That sounds.
0: With it. I I'm not trying to sound. Uh, like, well, you robbed me of my my agency to yeah. have an opinion about this episode. I think it was more that uh. I'm trying to piece together what this show means to me. Mm-hmm. And that was, uh, I, I you know, a, a moment where I was like, well, maybe it, it's not really for, for me. You know Which I, I think mean? is
1: part of this unique experiment of The Leftovers. I have never been angrier about a show in recent times than I was about season one. You know, it made me furious. I, I didn't dislike it and ignore it. I, I viscerally hated it, you mm-hmm. know, and, and wrote as much. Uh, then I... It touched something else in me, and I I loved it. And I, now I'm, you know, that is what this show is. That's the role it plays in the landscape, and that is what makes it totally unique, I think. And mm-hmm. I, I'm fascinated by the experience Damon had with, you know, Patrick Somerville and Carly Ray and all these other really talented people who passed through that room. What they were, what every day going to work was like, playing in this really hinky sandbox. You know, uh, other I mean, it's a lot. I think it would be a lot easier in some ways, or less less traumatic in some ways. To be like, maybe I'm on my phone too much and I really like pasta. I'm not saying that's a lesser project. <laughs> I'm saying that is an equally worthwhile project. And, you know, God blesses everyone that we get to watch both.
0: Thursday, we have a special guest joining us. And we'll also preview Twin Peaks. Then Monday, obviously, we will watch. We'll be talking about the first episode of Twin Peaks in how many years?
1: 26
0: years. 26 I, years.
1: Chris, like I, you're going to hear this on Thursday, <laughs> people who listen to the show. <laughs> This is, this is, this is my Rosebud, man. So you're definitely
0: going to watch. This is my, (laughs) my dude,
1: this is my little sled. Do you understand this? I've never loved anything. Are you a little
0: bit uh, nervous? I
1: I can't believe this. I just can't believe it. And it just feels like a crazy, insane gift that it's just going to exist. And it doesn't matter. Like, I would have, I was okay not having more. I made it 26 fucking years, you know. But David Lynch made more. And it would be different if it was a more cynical reboot, but, David Lynch and Mark Frost were like, "Okay, we'll do more. We'll do nine. No, we'll do eighteen more hours of this." Yeah, who even knows what this is? Like, I, I, someone said this best. Like, I, I think Vulture ran a piece like, "These nine questions better get answered." Fuck off, seriously. <laughs> I don't care. You know, like this is a show that I've loved more than any other show, in which a major character, her fate was that she was trapped in a wooden doorknob. Okay, people don't remember that. But that happened to Josie Packard. So, whatever. Bring me more doorknobs. Wait, the the lumber lady? Yeah, man. I love her. She was so scared. Is that at the season s- two? Yeah, she was so scared at the sight that. of Killer Bob. <laughs> her spirit left her body and went into a wooden doorknob where she screamed. Damn. Like, spoiler alert, but you know what I mean? Who cares? Yeah. This is everything, man. I can't wait.
0: Well, we'll be talking about uh, Twin Peaks, maybe a little leftovers depending on what happens in that episode, and uh, Covenant, Alien Covenant. Which I've seen Yep And Andy has not seen Nope it. But even if Andy doesn't see Maybe we'll have somebody come by And you just chat about that for just, a while Just tell me about it Okay Great job Vransky Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by Tile. Protect the things you use most with Tile, the convenient tiny Bluetooth tracker. Simply attach Tile to anything you don't want to lose, from your keys to your wallet, even your bike. Then use the free Tile app to locate your missing items. Act now, get free shipping, and save 30% per Tile on a multi-pack for a limited time. And you get a free gift box. Go to gettile.com watch. That's gettile.com slash watch. Today's episode of The Watch was also brought to you by Twin Peaks 25 years ago. Twin Peaks was a pop culture phenomenon that captivated America, and it changed TV forever. Everyone was asking, who killed Laura Palmer? And starting May 21st, the story continues in the new Showtime limited event series, Twin Peaks, directed by David Lynch. Kyle MacLachlan returns as FBI Special Agent Dale Cooper, along with more original cast members in their unforgettable roles. Twin Peaks premieres May 21st at 9, only on Showtime. Download the Showtime app and start your free trial now.